0: Happy Saturday, everybody, and welcome to our 15th episode. And I want to thank all of you who have sent in requests and suggestions with subjects that they would like to see covered. This week's episode is thanks to Davina, who lives in Australia. Her question was based around Historic Personality Disorder, or HPD. So let's jump straight in here. What is Historic or Historonic Personality Disorder, HPD? first and foremost it is a mental condition and it's basically a pattern of extreme emotionality and attention seeking behavior now usually it begins in early adulthood and can be very very obvious in certain situations now because histrionic personality disorder is a mouthful i am going to be using the initials hpd throughout the podcast So we know that it's one of the top 10 personality disorders recognized by the world over. It is also classified under the heading of cluster B disorders. Now this cluster B is characterized as overly emotional or erratic and dramatic. The word HPD here means dramatic or theatrical. We also know that roughly Around 35% of the world's population suffer from a personality disorder. and histrionic personality disorder will affect 5-6% to 6% of the general population. The disorder itself is characterised by shallow emotions, attention seeking and manipulative behaviour. So how about the symptoms of HPD? In general, people with HPD will have good communication skills and they'll also have good social skills. However, they will use these skills to manipulate others so that they can be the centre of attention. Of course, there is a possibility that some of these would be narcissists or at least have a tendency to be a narcissist, which I've covered in a previous podcast. A person with HPD will also have, or might have, some of the following. They might be uncomfortable unless they're the centre of attention, which we've mentioned earlier. They may dress provocatively or exhibit inappropriate, seductive or flirtatious behaviour. They may shift around their emotions quite rapidly. They may also be very dynamic, as though they were on a stage performing to an audience. They might use exaggerated emotions and expressions. However, these emotions and expressions will appear empty and lack sincerity. They will also be overly concerned and worried about their physical appearance. They will be constantly seeking reassurance and approval. They can be people who will be influenced by others and others' expectations of them. They will be excessive in their sensitivity especially towards criticism and disapproval. They will not be able to tolerate frustration and they will be easily bored by everyday routine. In fact, they may actually be very good at beginning projects but they won't be able to finish them or they might even skip them and go on to something else. They may act before they think. They have also been known to make very rash decisions They will almost always be self-centered and will very often not show any concern for other people and in their own relationships they will have great difficulty maintaining them often a partner or a friend will notice that they seem fake or shallow they may even go as far as to threaten or attempt suicide to gain attention now we know that because hpd can have the same symptoms or similar symptoms psychiatric disorders and mental illnesses most doctors will likely be forced to make differential diagnosis in order to rule out other disorders or mental health conditions that may be causing the symptoms so what do we know about what causes HPD in fact we don't know what causes HPD but one of the things that is talked about quite a lot is that it may be a combination of genetic and environmental influences. The tendency for HPT to run in families would suggest that it has a genetic susceptibility. In other words, it's inherited. And our environment would involve what's around us as we grow up, and the events in our lives, and the relationships with family members and others. However, we do know that there are other possibilities or other factors that have been linked to the increased risk of developing or triggering personality disorders in general. For example, parenting styles, inconsistent or overindulgent boundaries, parents who might behave dramatically or with violence, a family history that will have psychiatric disorders or substance abuse or personality disorders, HPD also tends to happen with other personality disorders like borderline personality or narcissistic personality or dependent personality types. Sometimes a child of a parent who has this disorder may simply be repeating their behaviour. And because of other environmental factors that might be involved, which would include a lack of criticism or punishment as a child, positive reinforcement that is given only when a child finishes certain approved behaviour or unpredictable attention that is given to a child by their parents. All this leads to confusion about what types of behaviour will earn parental approval. Most personality disorders develop in relationship to an individual's temperament and psychological style. It's a way people learn how to cope with stress while growing up. So how then is HPD diagnosed? Well, usually this is done by an evaluation process, and it's usually done from a doctor's point of view. who will have both the medical and the psychiatric history. So for example, if physical symptoms are present, then obviously a physical exam and laboratory tests are needed. But they might also recommend certain blood tests a neuroimaging study to assure them that a physical illness is not causing any of the symptoms. And if the doctor finds no physical reason for the symptoms, they might refer the person on to a psychotherapist or a psychologist who may use a specifically designed interview and assessment tool in order to evaluate the person for a personality disorder. Now comes the question about how it's treated. People with HPD don't believe that they actually need therapy. They're in denial. However, they also tend to exaggerate their feelings and to dislike routine, which makes following, you know, any sort of therapy plan quite difficult. However, they may need to seek help if depression is associated with the disorder, or with a loss, or a failed relationship, or any other problem caused by their actions that would cause them distress. Now usually psychotherapy is the treatment of choice for HPD and this is basically because the goal of the treatment is to help the individual uncover their own motivations and their own fears which will be associated with their thought pattern and behaviour. It will also help them to learn how to relate to others in more positive ways. Now of course medication might be sometimes used depending on the conditions For example, if depression or anxiety are present. Now, there are complications that can arise with HPD. And the effects would be on our social element, professional element, and our romantic relationships or friendships. How they react to losses and failures. It has to be noted here that people with HPD are more likely and are at a higher risk to suffer from depression. So what is the outlook for people with HPD? Well, if they get therapy, then they can go on to live functional, happy lives. They can learn to function quite well, both socially and at work. However, those with severe cases might experience a lot more problems and issues in their daily activities. One of the questions that was asked was, can HPD be prevented? Now, the simple answer to this is, we don't know. But treatment can allow a person who is prone to the disorder learn more productive ways of dealing with situations. And of course, this means that they might not pass it on to the next generation. We also know that it would not be good to use group therapy or family therapy. And the reason for this is because people with HPD symptoms will seek attention from group members and they exaggerate symptoms and these may be triggered or worsened within a group atmosphere. It is sad to think that people with HPD can go for many, many years without being diagnosed. And certainly if they are undiagnosed, then they don't get the treatment that they need. So perhaps... I suppose the best way to improve yourself is to first identify the symptoms. Get to know them. And a couple of things that I know will help is to put in place proper eating and sleeping schedules. Exercise on a regular basis. Avoid drugs and alcohol. And seek therapy. You can also do mindfulness techniques including yoga, tai chi, These can all be very helpful in order to control your inner feelings, including impulsivity and emotional reactivity. Now, I know I speak a lot about different disorders and different problems that may arise in our daily lives. But you have to remember that we all have issues. We all have baggage. And we all need help at some point in time. However, what I've noticed is that we tend not to seek help out. Because of our pride Because of our fear Because of not wanting people to think you're crazy Let me assure you on that point Anybody who attends therapy is not crazy For two reasons One, because if you attend therapy That you have chosen That you have decided on Then you are living within your own self Because you have made the choice Nobody else So you recognise that there is something not quite right that you need to work on. Therefore, you're not crazy. 2. Sometimes when we seek help, we're not sure why we're seeking it. My answer to that would be, does it really matter? If I have something that I want to discuss with somebody, but can't discuss it with family members, then why not go to a stranger? especially somebody who is not emotionally connected to either you or the issue. Now, there is a second subject that I have been asked to cover, and it's about power. So, what is power? Well, power is the ability to influence or control a person, place, or thing. Power will influence and affect all aspects of our social life, both from the home To the workplace. Now, power itself is not negative. For example, a toddler's actions have to be influenced by a parent in order to keep them safe. However, if a person abuses their power, it has the capacity to do serious harm. Power itself will give a person the ability to affect people around them and their environment and their events. I think it was in the 1950s, but I'm open to correction on that. When a psychologist, or actually I think there was two of them, and I think his name was John French, said that there are at least five main types of power. Now, I correct myself on that one because although they started with five, I think later on they added two. And these types of power are coercive power, which is the ability to offer some form of punishment when certain actions are taken. So, for example, a judge has the ability to put a thief in jail because he's stolen something. Number two is reward power. And this is the ability, as it states obviously, is to give rewards for certain behaviour. For example, a parent or a significant adult in a child's life can give them a euro or two euro or five euro or whatever, If they do certain chores. Number three, formal power. Now this is known also as legitimate articulate power. Now this power comes from the arena of having an official position. For example, the manager of a company that can hire and fire people. Four, connection power. And this is where we offer access to certain people or resources. For example, a librarian can give access to people to restricted section of the library. Number five, referent power. Note this comes from the influence that comes from being liked by others. So somebody who is popular in school may start a new trend of clothes, may be wearing a pink tie instead of the normal blue tie, or might start wearing, you know, a scarf around their waist. So they'll start off a new fashion. Number six, informal power. Now this type of ability comes from knowledge and information. For example, the army may know the location of a terrorist base. And number seven, expert power. Now the influence that this has comes from having really, really exceptional skills. If there is only one plumber in a small village... He has power because everybody is going to be looking for him. Everybody needs a plumber. Or it could be a carpenter. Somebody always needs furniture. And we know that a lot of these different power dynamics can unduly affect interpersonal relationships. For example, where relationships are strong and healthy and have balanced power, they're generally equal or at least close to equal. Now, there may be partners that may not have equivalent types of power. For example, one partner may be more financially astute and have the resources, while the other partner has more social connections. Healthy relationships usually work together respectfully and have, for want of a better word, a hand-in-hand decision-making technique. Now, I know that my time is limited this evening, And I'm going to cut off here, but I will continue this power subject in next week's podcast. However, there is something that I need to say here that I want you to remember. And it's about going to therapy or deciding if you're going to go to therapy. And it's about nobody has to know except you. Why would you not use the resources around you and gain another viewpoint? especially, as I've said earlier, when the person is not emotionally connected to you or to your issue. I hope this answers Bernadette's question. So, have a wonderful weekend and enjoy the rest of the week. I believe the weather is supposed to be fantastic. Please do something new for yourselves this weekend. Do something new with your family. Something that you enjoy. And my apologies for the lateness of this podcast, but I was engaged all day. Stay well. Stay safe. Namaste.